Hello and welcome to the Marathon Bet Boot Room to Boardroom and Everything In Between podcast with him, Simon Jordan. Hey Danny, great to be here as always. Thank you. And me, Danny Kelly. And today we're going to get really into the crux of it. We're going to talk about the business of football, or is it more generally known, money, M-O-N-E-Y. And here's just some of what's coming up. It'll soon be messy at Barcelona, yeah, you know, yeah. rather than Barcelona Eden has Messi. Eden Real Madrid, here they come. Exactly. Having the guts to run the club on a budget that doesn't let it go out of business. If you look at Fulham, this guy's got more money than God. You know, he's going to buy our national stadium. On the cheap. <laughs> and he's back in the championship after spending more money than everyone, anyone's ever spent on a promoted side. But even he, with all that money, he will be now sat at home going, what the hell happened there? They'll get a minimum of 100 million quid for landing there. The richest sports event in the world, it's not about the money, it's about getting into the Premier League. And they'll get another 90-odd million quid if they get relegated for the next three seasons. So it's a 200 million pound game. I think you could argue, definitely, that money has transformed the game since we got into the sponsorship and yep. the television money and all the rest of it. Has it transformed it for the better, Simon? I think two things have transformed the game. I think money is at the heart of it, absolutely. And if you look at the, when it started, there were two massive sea changes in the business of football. One is when Sky came in 1991 or 92, and the second is when Roman Abramovich landed on our shores and changed the direction of travel again. So that's where money started to influence and become a big part of the, the dynamics of football. Because before that, football was going through a, a bit of a slump and there was a real crisis of confidence about the business of football. Now, has it changed football? Inevitably, it's changed football. It's changed. Broadcasting has changed the way we view it. At the centre of broadcasting is finances. At the centre of finances drives the way that football perpetuates itself. Players have become even more influential than they were. They're now islands in their own right, islands on their own mind half the time. Little businesses of their own. Little businesses. You know, people selling image rights back in the day, which was laughable, are no longer laughable. They really are. So, yes, it has changed things because it's given viewers a far more rounded view of football. It's given them 360 degree, seven days a week, 24 hours a day access. On the flip side of that, it's taken the game away from its roots. It's taken the game away from some of the integrity that I think underpinned it and underscored it. But I think if you're balancing it up on the weights and measures, I think the fact that enormous wealth has come into the game has probably changed it for the slightly better because we're looking at better quality of football we're looking at better viewing and quite frankly Danny people vote with their feet what are the attendances saying the attendances are saying football is on the ascent as it has been for the last 20 years yeah I guess you've hit an important thing there because while people who remember both the old football and the new football are keen to complain about some of the things about the new football if you're 17 years of age, 16 years of age, living in Stockport and wearing your Barcelona shirt, yeah. uh, you don't have any recollection of what went on before particularly, and it becomes a little bit, old geezers banging on about it. So what I will do is I'll, I'll say the positive, clearly, and you know, I and you lived through Heysel and Hillsborough yeah. yep. and Bradford. Absolutely. And stadiums where people were literally weeing on each other. Yeah, absolutely. We've all lived through and, that. And stadiums with electric fences being put up a la Ken Bates at Chelsea and so on and so forth. He never switched the fence on. I mean, <laughs> yeah. is, that, is that to his credit? I suppose I, it's to his credit. God only knows. So you've got the stadiums are clearly better. The facilities yep. are better. The quality of the play is better because the pitches are better. Yep. People are getting paid better. And that's yep. usually a good thing in yep. life. And, of course, the fees are better for agents, but I'll leave you to calm I'll yourself down alone, about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Still, we get complaints then because... We appear to be heading in the big leagues. Real won the Champions League three years running. Yeah. And now in the big five leagues, we have the same champions as last mm -hmm. year for the first time ever. That's yeah. one field of complaint. Interesting. And I'll let you, I'll yeah. let you deal with that. Also, 
delight here in England and Britain that uh, you know four English teams make the Champions, Champions League and Europa League, League finals. Europa. Fans are being priced out of the possibility of going. Mm. Let's start with the first one. All capitalism, quote yeah. Karl Marx himself, heads towards a monopoly. How can we avoid that in football? Um, I don't know if we can. I mean, I look at it and say... The idea that tickets should be at a certain price is a supply and demand concept to some extent, and that is at the centre of business opportunities. I think it's a bit like airline companies charging enormous plane flights when kids kids are on school school holidays and then reducing their plane flights when they're not. It's opportunism at its worst, and the game probably doesn't need it. But I've got mates that are are a different sport, are are members at Lords that are now going to pay £250 or £500 to have their own seat during the World Cup just to simply have a facility fee. So you look at it and say, at the centre of sport and finances are opportunities being taken. Going to your part of, do I see monopolies? I don't really care what's happening in Syria, are they? No. I couldn't give monkeys what's happening in the Liga. They damn well care what's happening in the Premier League because we dominate world football because our financial juggernaut of a structure leads the way. And that's why we're having to listen to some of this nonsense from the Juventus president about this European Super League. What a Premier League we had this season. What a phenomenal Premier League. And what's happening in the other divisions are kind of their problem. Now, I just think it's a coincidence. And I think that, you know, in any other time, any other parallel universe, Liverpool in this country would have won this league in 99 out of 100 times team. and afterwards. And people say to me, they haven't won the league. I don't care. The Ittrich team that didn't win the league in the early 1980s that lost to Aston Villa, not only were they a great team, they were a better team than the team See, that we, eventually we won the title. We this because I think coming second is first loser. So I never tend to remember that. That's just that. some nonsense you learn at business school. Well, don't no, worry about that. I do that. think it's true. I do think there's an element of you know winning is all that really counts, especially in the business of sport. Participating is a British mentality, but winning is what counts. From that point of view, I think that ultimately, whilst Liverpool had a great side, they didn't win the league. But going to the heart of monopolies, no, I just think there's some very dominant sides right now. I think the La Liga is in a quite a slump. Madrid are in a period of decline, so they're not challenging Barcelona this year. Munich are obviously a very strong side. Juventus, you know, the rebooting of the Italian league with some new financing coming in, and the way they've changed the distribution deals now, they're now starting to distribute money more equitably. And the two Milan clubs getting their own stadium, for yeah. instance. Yeah. So that might change the direction of travel as far as Juve is concerned, and it'll be fascinating to see what happens in our Premier League. But no, I don't think so. I just think this is just a, a freak coincidence that's happened as a matter of course, and I don't think it indicates there's going to be a monopoly. Actually, you know, there is something going on, though, because people want to see... A cup final was a good example. Manchester City were brilliant. But it, wasn't, but, disgrace, it, quite but it wasn't a competition, was it? It was an exhibition. I was reading one of the papers described as an exhibition in butchery in the end. Let's take that Manchester City out of it, because over in France now, the owners of PSG are really getting fed up now because they get no credit for turning the French League into a one-horse race. They think, well, look at this great team we produced. It's not a great team, by the way. No, it's not. But no. they're already beginning to question and why they aren't being... Lauded and applauded. ...the hilltops and the rooftops for producing that team. Whilst I admire... I admire the quality of football. I don't admire the methodology of which they've used to achieve it, which is buying everything and everyone. So there's no real surprise to me that they've got the best team. PSG, and what I think is a weak league anyway, have only just separated the powers a little bit because they've made themselves even more elite than a non-elite league. They've become elite in a non-elite league, which is why their Champions League performance is pretty poor. The economics of football will continue to evolve. And the idea is not to allow superpowers that have inordinate amounts of money and predominantly clubs that have huge benefactors in place to disappear into the ether without the playing field being of interest to us all. 
financial fair play and all that went with that was brought in to do that. And there are questions about things that are going on with certain football clubs and how they're conducting themselves that will either be brought to bear or they won't. Sure. But football is such an enormous business now, Danny, and it dominates such huge attention. And when you think of some of these businesses like Manchester United, which we consider to be the biggest club in the mm-hmm. world, they turn over 700 million quid a year. That's not really a big business in financial terms, no. but in reputational terms and brand association and identification terms, I would struggle to find a bigger brand. There are millions of foodstuffs, cleaning products and all the rest of it around the world that make probably 20 times what we're talking about United there, but yeah. no one even knows what they're called. Absolutely. Uh, it's very interesting, isn't it? Actually, unless we can combine these two things now. So there's Manchester United with all its requirements for success and all the rest of it, and you talk about a great Premier League, and it was because you had six teams in my opinion, going for the four Champions League places. Two of them, of yep. course, had got them by February. Among these clubs now that fancy themselves a bit, shall we say, in England particularly, how important is it that you get to the Champions League? Because they can't all do it, Simon. You can't work your business model on being in the Champions League because you can't guarantee it. No, but at the centre of football, as we all, as we both know, is aspiration and a target and an achievement level. Sometimes, as we've seen with a lot of these clubs, getting in and around the top six, not necessarily Champions League, but in the UEFA League, the Europa League, has detrimental effects. But the idea behind the Champions League is denoted by one thing, the generation of revenue. It's about money. That's why they are now trying to change the direction of travel on it. There's new thoughts around it. There are increased opportunities to increase the revenue because everything comes down to how much money these football clubs can earn. Now, going to the heart of what we're talking about is how important is it? Well, it's £100 million important to Tottenham this year which is probably a 30 40% probably a 30% increase in turnover from them not being in the Champions League which is in any business is substantial. A lot of that will go into the players pockets because of the bonuses and so on and so forth. Also in this business where you can have great managers and you can have great football stadiums but in the end of the day what wins football matches is great players. Yeah. And players have now got it in their head. You're seeing one of my old charges at Palace, Wilfred Zaha, wanting to leave Crystal Palace to progress his career and citing explicitly the reason for that is he wants to play in the Champions League because it is the Rolls-Royce now of football. It is the domestic World Cup, isn't it, in real terms? And everybody wants to play in the World Cup and everybody that's playing domestic football in Europe wants to play in the Champions League. So with that also comes huge recognisability because of the broadcast figures around the world, huge opportunities with commercial shirt sponsorship deals. As we discussed earlier on about the players' images, they become even more islands in their own right when they're broadcasting from an even bigger platform than the Premier League. Placing a bet? It's exhausting running around looking for the best odds. Don't waste your breath. It's time you check Marathon Bet. Before you place your acker this week, check Marathon Bet first. You may find we're best priced. And better odds mean bigger winnings. Download the Marathon Bet app or visit marathonbet.co.uk. 18plusbgambleware.org. Is there any way that I can convince you that the players moving their careers on are actually talking about moving their bank balances on? The reason I'll say this is because in the very week we're making this podcast, Kylian Mbappe... He's heading towards being the best player in the world. He gets the player of the year in France and he chooses yeah. that very forum. And he's a very clever man who knows how he, he does these media. Well, very clever advisors, yeah. Comes out and says, do you know, I think I, I could see myself, there's a fork in the road for me, this. I, I could see myself wanting, quote, more responsibility. He couldn't say Champions League. He's guaranteed that at PSG. He can't really say much more money because he's at PSG. So the only way he can go off to Spain and get even more money is to say, I need more responsibility. It's, yeah. it's cobblers to use the, the vernacular. Well, I think there is an element of opportunism in players' minds where they use it as an excuse 
Look, when you're talking about top players that are playing for top clubs or even clubs that are necessarily not as achievement-orientated as some of these clubs, a la Man United at this moment in time, they're still able to pay the wages. So I feel there's a lot of disingenuity in football. I think there's a lack of integrity in a lot of areas. But I'm inclined to take more notice of players wanting to aspire to a higher level and say they want to play in the Champions League rather than use it as an excuse to get themselves out of somewhere where it doesn't suit them. So I do think there is an element of that is the pinnacle, that is the ultimate football to play in. But of course, Danny, attached to it will be pound, shillings and pence or, or euros or whatever the commodity you get paid in. Absolutely. <laughs> so I think that it is part and parcel of how players perceive success now. And I don't know if that's wrong or right, but it's a bell we ain't going to unring anytime soon. No, no, as you say, they are either told explicitly or implied by their agents to, you know, to treat themselves as little businesses. Not, I say little, they're big businesses within other businesses in, in football clubs. I can't think of another industry. Maybe the film industry where the employees are themselves little businesses within a bigger yeah. business. Maybe the film industry is another example. And you get exactly the same kind of nonsense well, going I on mean, there. You see Tom Cruise now. It's not Mission Impossible. It's Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. So he becomes above title. And it'll soon be yeah. Messi at Barcelona. Yeah. You know, yeah. rather than Barcelona. Eden has Messi. Real Madrid. Here they come. Exactly. Like the Harlem Globetrotters. Absolutely. They became Meadowlark yeah. Lemons, Harlem, mm-hmm. Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. This is all OK because we can all... Follow the line. People were starting to say it when you took over Crystal Palace. The constant refrain, well, football's a business, but it's yeah. not a business like any other. No, I'll give you not. two examples. You could probably give me ten. One, each club has a captive audience. Mm-hmm. If I am dissatisfied what's happening at Tottenham Hotspur, I'm not, I'm not, Daniel. If I was, I can't say, right, I'm going to support Blinking Orient now. Here mm-hmm. I go. Watch me. Whereas I can go to a supermarket that sells better stuff than the one yeah. I'm going to. And secondly, and this is my favourite image, I now own a big football club in the Premier League. I get up each morning, I scratch myself, I take off my Louis Vuitton pyjamas and I get myself into, 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 into my suit. I open the letterbox each morning and the money pours in. Yeah. I've not played a single game. I've not made any good moves on the football pitch. We scored no great goals. But here comes the money just to be in the Premier League. Absolutely. There's no other business like that. No, you're absolutely right. And the two ingredients that you put there is a, a product being served up on a weekly basis still gets people back the following week. And I'd love to have other businesses that could... Um, <laughs> hey, this podcast be one of those. I the, don't know. The flip side to it, of course, is that you have the lunatics running the asylum because the players have all the influence and power and control. You have a situation where, unlike any other business, if you will find yourself in financial hardship, you're able to dispose of your assets whenever you choose. And you can't in this business. You have limited time windows. Which one? Transfer window. Transfer yeah. window, yeah. yes, of course. You know, you talk about the fact that in any other business, you can consequence the people that work for you and their performance becomes defining of their pay. In football, once you've signed them to this contract and they've they've signed for their basic wage and then you've given them a sign-on fee and yeah. then you've given them a loyalty bonus for doing you the favour of staying for a year and then you've given them an appearance bonus for turning up on a Saturday when they've been paid the basic wage to do that. Then you give a goal bonus to a centre-forward whose whole focus in life is to score goals. All of those things come without seemingly any conditionality attached to it. So but they, but there's they, a variety they, of things that they make football They only survive, unique. though, because of the letterbox, don't they? If they had to go and earn a living football clubs, they'd well, have to change the way they behave, that, wouldn't Danny, they? you say that... But the maturing of this industry has made it become slightly better because guys like me 
propped up the industry because we bridged the gap. We were the bloody fools that wrote the checks out to meet the obligations that the football clubs couldn't naturally achieve. So we bridged the gap. And our ambition was the thing we often got hoisted by, specifically me. Yeah, well, you're the um, most famous example, uh, certainly. So, but now with football becoming more financially viable and thinking behind it becoming more mature and profits becoming at the centre of football clubs' existence, there is a bit more control over it. But the end game is that it is a business that likes all of the responsibility, all of the credibility, but sometimes with none of the accountability from managers to players to agents to across the spectrum. You say that the heart of the game from the sporting point of view is not finance, but aspiration. It is. Yeah. And At whatever level. Yes, of course. And the, the sports of Lake Norrington have just got themselves back into the league. And the structure. Yeah. They want to play in the Champions League final, mm-hmm. and they can see that. It's difficult to do that. If you've got six super clubs in England, let's say Wolves entrench and make it seven. Let's say yeah. Everton get their new stadium, make it eight. Say Leicester's owners are as generous as they've been all along. Mm-hmm. Call it nine, whatever it is. What are the other clubs for, Simon? When I grew up, even the biggest clubs, Liverpool are still, in some ways, they cash in on it every time you have one of those night matches at Anfield. They were hubs of the community. In London, it was mixed up, but mostly it was local people going to the game, identifying for that two hours with this football team, for better or worse, screaming their lungs out after a hard week at work. They were created by and were something to do with the community. Give or take. Now that's clearly not the case for the big clubs. They're global brands whose sure. fans have been estranged. still a big spirit of identity, though. There's still an inherent and underlying base of people that believe that the football club represents them. Even listening to Man City fans before the game and before the cup final against Watford, you've got this feeling of the football club being entrenched in their psyche. One of the great joys that nobody else can match is that in England and Scotland, you've got 150 full-time professional football yep. clubs. The ones who are not going to make the Champions League, are they still important? Are they, are they still part of the community? Very much What's so. What's happening with them? I think they're the fabric of sports in this country, not just the elite 20 clubs in the Premier League. I think a lot gets lost in that. I am a meritocracist. I am a capitalist by my nature. Yeah. So I believe in aspirational. But I also realise, when I bought Palace, I thought we can go and we can really make a mark here. And then you realise that there is ultimately a natural level that you can get to. And that was a disappointment for me. It was an eye-opener and a realism pill that I didn't actually want to take. But what can also change the direction of travel, as Roman Abramovich did at Chelsea, is inordinate wealth. And any club that puts himself in a position... You know, there was a rumour not so long ago that MK Dons were landing in a championship and some very significant investors that might have already invested in American football were very interested in what had happened at MK Dons with this purpose-built stadium with hotel enabling in it and a club competing in the championship. And they could come along and they could change the direction of travel on that club and put them into the Premier League and make it an elite football club that people aspire to know around the world. It's not beyond the gift of any football club to build organically, get exponential growth, and then someone that really either has more wealth than the person that's built it. When I built my mobile phone business, clearly it was obvious to me that T-Mobile had more money than me and would probably take it further. But it didn't alter the landscape that I had put down, the things that I'd created and the value that I'd brought to the football club and what I wanted to do with that mobile phone business. And the same with a football club. If you look at AFC Wimbledon, say, for example, and they've managed to go through the divisions or the re-energising of Portsmouth, Portsmouth can get back to natural levels and then maybe if somebody comes along and takes it to another level. But I certainly don't devalue the fact there's only so many people that can win the league. There's only so many people that sure. can win the cup. There's only so many tournaments you can win. It doesn't mean that the other 
91 participants that haven't won the Premier League are any less valuable to the pyramids. Actually, there's one other thing in the middle of this we should mention, of course. Leicester won the Premier League with, a, did. with a wealthy owner, but not with the kind of financial firepower that we've been seeing applied to it since. Are they an example that proves all other rules wrong? No, I don't. Or was it a one I think one? they're an exception. I don't think they're an exception, which disproves the rule. I think they had some very good players. I think at the time there was a certain arrogance pervading certain other members of the Premier League. And I think there was a certain... Football can be very snooty at times. And I think everybody looked at Leicester and said, they're going to blow up, they're going to blow up, they're going to blow up. And I think the performance of the other sides in the league was as much to contribute to the excellence that Leicester brought to the fore. But I think you can't ignore that. But I don't think at any time soon we're going to see a side come out of the ether, a side that, quite frankly, Nigel Pearson built and were nearly relegated the previous season and started this ridiculous run of form. I think we're winning the last seven of their eight games and Ranieri came in to inherit. But they had exceptionally good players, Yeah, Danny. I mean, you know, when you talk about it and say, well, actually, it disproves the rule. Well, yeah, we'll go and look at the players they've had then because they've gone and sold Encanti for 40, 50 million quid. They've gone and sold Mares for 60 million quid. So whilst they didn't have to buy those players for that money, those players were in amongst their ranks. So I understand the argument of it, but I think that will always be the exception. And I think people will say the other big teams were retooling that year. There was complacency. There and was. It reminded me very much of uh, when I was a teenager, punk rock happened, um, and the record companies, and I know this because by the end of 10 years, I was on the far side of the process. I was a music journalist around the music industry. They got the shock of their lives. They thought they were doing great. Punk rock comes along. All those bands happen without the permission of the record companies and the radio stations, to be truthful about it, and the record companies never let that happen again. They made sure they upped their game in yeah. terms of A&R. They made sure they had people out at gigs and they signed up lots of terrible bands as a result, but they made sure their music business never got out of their control again. And I think the big six will make absolutely certain like they British up British Callum did the same thing to Freddie Laker. He had the audacity to take transatlantic flights down to a certain price, get a competitive marketplace, and they all close ranks again. Yeah, and that's exactly what will happen, I suspect, with the likes of poor old Leicester City. Though I will never forget what they did, even though I was a victim of it. Spurs were supposed to be yeah. challenging them. By February, I knew there was no challenge in them. They were going over the horizon. Fantastic. If you bought another football club, not yeah. Crystal Palace, but let's say a club in the top half of the championship, which is what Crystal Palace effectively were when you bought that yeah. club. I'm not going to say a name, but let's say you did buy another football club. How hard is it to really, in your mind, aspire to be a Premier League club that might one day get into Europe while still having the guts to run the club on a budget that doesn't let it go out of business? Ask Burnley. There's your case model. Ask Swansea. But actually, when Swansea changed direction and got some heavyweight people involved that had supposedly influential finances, they brought people in that weren't fit for purpose. So it's about balance. It's about understanding the business of football. And, you know, if you look at Fulham, this guy's got more money than God. Mm. You know, I was going to buy our national stadium. On the cheap. <laughs> and he's back in the championship after spending more money than everyone, anyone's ever spent on a promoted side. But even he, with all that money, he will be now sat at home going, what the hell happened there, won't he? Well, I think you probably look at John Henry and his time at Liverpool when he first walked through the door when he was paying 40 million quid for Andy Carroll and 20 million pounds for Jordan Henderson that he could have bought for 8 million pounds and Stuart Downing for 20 million quid and probably was going, what the 
hell have I got on my hands here? And once you understand the business that you're in and you understand what you've got in front of you, then you have an opportunity to move in the direction that you want to. But I just think that ever more so now, with Cardiff coming up last year, with Burnley stabilising in the Premier League, Swansea with achievements over the Blackpool over the years that have gone past. I know they've dropped down the pyramid mm-hmm. and we can talk about Owen and Carl Oyston all day if we wanted yeah. to. But I still feel that the opportunities at Sheffield United coming back from that's the a wonderful story and then you've got the other side of it when you've got Derby with Mel Morris that's got a lot of money but rebuilding the football club so I still feel that the business of football affords an opportunity for anybody that dares be brave enough to move organically then exponentially and then find somebody that perhaps has deeper pockets to move you to the next level right that's definitely one magic wand is finding mm. a sugar daddy as they you know, disparagingly call people but if you create the opportunity yes. and they're there yeah. Are there other magic wands? We've seen in recent years Brentford, for instance, who perhaps batting out of their league when they were on the top half of the championship using a real lot of matrix of sports science. Educated thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Or Wolverhampton Wanderers, who found another way, and that is to persuade one agent to get his clients into a championship club. I'd like to be sitting here and saying that organically you can achieve whatever you want. It does, in the end, come down to how much money you're going to invest. What you find is... How much money you waste is the key component to whether you're going to be successful to some extent financially. And Brentford's model works to a degree. And I respect it. I looked at what they did at Brentford. I looked at their chairman. I looked at their chief executive. They had some very straight line thinking. Brentford can't get out of this division. They can get close to it, Mm -hmm. but they can't get out of it. So really and truly, and if you look at Cardiff, I know that Cardiff were looked at as getting out of the championship last year on a ragtag and bobtail outfit with a manager that dragged them kicking and screaming. But let me tell you something. They had a £21 million wage bill, which would have probably put them in the top six or seven in that division. So it's no surprise they were in the top six and seven in that division. What was a surprise is they finished second because they had a brilliant manager. Recruitment is a really interesting thing, isn't it? And sure. the management of the recruits as well, because Manchester City, to use the current um, thing that gets beaten with a stick, they haven't spent a world record fee on a centre-back. No. Their record fee in midfield is still way below Paul Pogba. Mm-hmm. They haven't got Kylian Mbappe on the books yet. Mm-hmm. What they have done is recruited brilliant players for the positions and the system they want to play and improve them. I mean, that's what you're talking about. I think. Whereas Manchester United, you could argue, since Alex Ferguson left, and even while he was there, were buying more and more players and kinds of players that simply were not going to gel as a team. Tell what's brilliant recruitment, buying a, a left-back for £8 million quid from Hull, like Liverpool did. Yeah, Robson. That, that's brilliant recruitment. Yeah. I think Manchester City have recruited, spent a lot of money in every position. They might not have spent world record transfers to make marquee statements yeah. a lot of these no, clubs no, want to do. They've bought and they've put £60 million fullbacks and they've built a wonderful side and they've taken and paid for the best coach in the world. I'm sorry, as much as it may prick people's bubble and bring them crashing back down to earth in reality, finances will always be at the centre of the end achievement, whatever division you're in. You're not going to find a team in League One with a wage bill of eight hundred grand finishing top of the league when the wage bill of the team that should finish top of the league or does finish top of the league is 10 million or 7 million or 8 million. It will come to the end. It'll be finances. But it's about how far you can get to a natural growth because of the size of your club. A la Newcastle, 50,000, 60,000 fans will generate more revenue from a football club that only has 20,000 fans in their stadium. Bournemouth are punching in this division in the Premier League 
with nine, ten, eleven thousand fans. But their backers are not paupers either, are they? No. They're making up for the for lack of supporters in a different way. But if you look at it, I don't think you look at Bournemouth's finances and say they're a club that's bleeding out of their eyes financially, it's requiring their owners to go deep in their pockets. No. They are taking the money that their membership of the Premier League, their £120 million through the letterbox scenario that we described earlier on, gives them and they're using it to buy footballers with and pay wages and stay in the elite league and punching what some would say above their weight. You've been, I think, in it. The, the championship playoff game. Yeah, I have three times. Which gets called the richest sports event in the world. It's not about the money. It's about getting into the Premier League for the fans of those clubs there and then. Yeah. What's it worth? What's the figure we get? It's well, 160 now. No, it's worth more than that. I mean, if you look at it in solely what it's worth in terms of what they'll get from the distribution from the Premier League, they'll get a minimum of 100 million quid for landing there. And they'll get another 90-odd million quid if they get relegated for the next three seasons. So it's a 200 million pound game. Right. On top of that, you think about the exponential opportunities in shirt sponsorship and stadium prices it's probably worth down somewhere in the region if you stay out for one season mm-hmm. in revenue not on yeah, profit no, 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 no. revenue probably about 220 million pounds great that is a huge amount of money in anybody's book yeah I give it to you now. You've got your new football club, Simon Jordan's United, but you've changed the name for, for branding purposes. Mm-hmm. Let's round it up for the sake of next season. Call it a quarter of a billion pounds. How easy or difficult is it not to just spend that on players and players' wages? What stage do you think we need to improve that facility where we've got for training in order to attract better players? You can do all of that anyway. I mean, those are incidental costs. The costs that you spend on infrastructure will pale into insignificance as to what you'll spend on acquiring players and what you'll spend on their wages. It's very difficult now to get promoted. Jeremy Peace ran West Bromwich Albion on the model of he was quite happy for them to go up and down. Yes. And that made sense to him for a period of time. And obviously now they're out of that league and they've got different owners. They're thinking probably is different out of the Premier League. I think now it's very, very difficult to not make economic sense of a club being promoted to the Premier League, either staying there or getting relegated. The catch-all is that you've got to be sensible in what you do. You can't do what Fulham did, which is go and spend £100 million on players and get yourself relegated and all that goes with it. But my view, and I remember speaking to certain managers used to work for me and certain clubs that went Mm -hmm. up last year and looking at what Brighton spent and looking at what Huddersfield spent the previous season when they managed to stay up, that something in a region of 50 or 60 million, so say 25% of the guaranteed revenue coming in from the broadcasters should go on transfer fees because don't forget transfer fees are not a loss of profit because those players are still worth the money that you've paid for them they just depreciate over a period of time and possibly 50, 60 million on wages enables you to have a real tilt at staying in the Premier League and keep the revenue coming forward but also doesn't then put you as a sacrificial lamb on the altar of financial ruin if you get relegated the following season You know I thought about uh, during the recent playoffs which we all enjoyed so much watching Leeds United once again fall at the penultimate hurdle They're the biggest act of self-harm I've seen on a football field for some time. Well, and and (laughs) almost an echo of them 15 years ago when people always talk about, you know, clubs in the lower divisions constantly going cap in hand to their creditors and and all the rest of it. But Leeds is the warning one, isn't it? They get to the semi-final of the Champions League. Everybody is thrilled with it. Everyone's delighted with it. But the reason they're trapped for a decade and a half in the championships is what happened then, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's a strange one because obviously I know the protagonist with Peter Risdell who takes a lot of responsibility for that, although they had Alan Layton on the board who was quite an influential figure in the world of commerce. And I think ultimately the change of ownership with Ken Bates and so on and so forth has not helped Leeds in many factors. But you look at that game as an aspirational game and you close your eyes, and I don't know about you, Danny, I watched it last week, and I sat there and thought, 
what a football stadium. What support Leeds United yep. have in that ground. Phenomenal that Frank Lampard's derby overachieved. I think overachieved came, yeah, but and overcame them. them. Yeah. But you look at that and say, people straining at every sinew, the fans, those were Leeds United fans with an affluent owner. That's someone that's got quite vociferous views on how football should be split up and cut up and financed. But you don't see that club losing its identity. And you won't see that club losing its identity because I still think at the heart of a football club, the pulse and the heartbeat of a football club are the fans. And I don't think that's going to change. So when we talked about earlier on in the show about the loss of identity and what the football club has mean in the community, watch playoff semi-final games. I know I've been part of three of them. It's a different society. I totally get that. And a, and a different economic model as well about how American football, they still have big, huge wages. Everyone gets well paid. Yep. The owners still get a sustainable profit model. Uh-huh. It's incredibly competitive, which means American television continues. The New England Patriots... Oh, uh, in the NFL, yeah. Yeah, in the yeah. NFL, yeah. yeah. It is pretty competitive. As yeah. tough as you're a Cleveland Brown fan, but by and large, it's pretty competitive. Most of the 32 teams start out the season thinking we can win this Super Bowl. The one thing, though, I fear about it, of course, is that the fans who are quite happy with most of it, but then you get a situation like St. Louis where they suddenly say, no, we're going to move this now two and a half thousand yeah. miles to another city. So nothing is perfect, is it? No, it's not. I mean, at the centre of American sports is a slight of maturity. And the MLS, because I know I put the first English team into American football because we had Crystal Palace USA playing out of Baltimore, out of Washington State. At the centre of their thinking is a group of businessmen that got together and said the first thing that happens here is we as franchise holders make money. Right? There on afterwards, wage caps, controls and everything else come into play that enable them to make money. So there's a maturity in that respect. There's a maturity about the drafting situation where the worst team gets the first draft and the best player. There's an and immaturity. He, and he has to go and to has, the, that yeah, team. Yeah, of course, he doesn't. Right? And, of course, there's an immaturity about there's no consequence of relegation, which I think makes our sports better, unique and better. I'd agree with that. Listen, Simon, the, in the years I've worked with you, the last couple of years, I keep looking for signs of the growth of football somehow stumbling. Because we've seen it in other sports, it yeah. can happen. Snooker was as big as anything. 20 years ago, and now they struggle to find sponsors and all the rest of it. The TV money, the shirt sponsorship, is it Arsenal have just signed a £65 million a yeah. year shirt as a, sponsorship? As a merchandise deal as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. They keep on getting bigger and bigger and yeah. bigger. But you know, whatever brain that God has given you, and it's quite a large one, that no market has ever proved to be completely elastic. There is a limit for everything. Yeah. Are we anywhere near that limit? No, I don't think so. I think with the introduction of social media players and with the idea of the football world expanding and the digital technology that we have, I think we've tapped out in this country the domestic rights. I think the broadcasters that are here being Sky and BT that are, in my view, just telcos that are trying to, you know, get subscribers to pay £80 a month so they can converge products and, in BT's case, ideally get them to not have broadband with Sky and not lose their final frontier on the telco marketplace. I think the domestic marketplace has dried up, but the overseas market is going to keep on growing and growing because currently out of the £8.4 billion that the Premier League clubs get, three and a half of it is from overseas and the audience is far greater overseas. Yeah. So I think we're going to tap into that, which is why I always thought it was a, a scandalous last piece of authority from Richard Scudamore to disappear in the ether on his last year, handing some of those rights back to the big six because I think the Premier League is the sum of all its parts. There's so many different opportunities with football and so many different products. We've spoken about it before. I believe that the Premier League has an opportunity to become its own broadcaster. I'm not spitting in the face of those that built it, which are Sky and latterly BT. But They've if, done all right. Out of but it. if you, football you... is going to keep on growing, 
then there will become a need for it to become its own platform. And by that, I've used the euphemism describing it as a Netflix of football. Ultimately, a video-on-demand platform that enables people to watch it whenever they want, however they want, watch all games, and pay a price that doesn't involve people becoming concerned about how much they're paying currently. Because we're getting that challenge in the UK, 80 or 90 quid to watch So lots of money. It's beginning to increase the churn. It's also beginning to increase the opportunity for piracy. And piracy is funded by organised crime and everything that goes with that. So I think if the Premier League steps up, starts really thinking about it's got a proven, tried and trusted model. When it was started 25 years ago and David Dean and his gang wanted to go of ITV and didn't see the vision of Sky, it didn't have faith in its product. It now should have. And if you look at the $8.4 billion that it currently generates over three years and think about the Netflix model, I know people say Netflix loses money, but let's look at the Premier League and look at what it can generate and say... If Netflix is a relatively new business. Lots of new businesses It's got all this funding money. going into it, absolutely. You know, if you look at Facebook, it was all about funding and future development. But if you look at the idea behind the Premier League, and say, if you can get 100 million subscribers worldwide paying eight quid a month, so there's no churn, no resistance to price, you're getting 10 billion a year before you start whacking advertising in there, before you start whacking in convergence products in there. So the Premier League currently being very pleased with itself over 8.4 billion every three years could at some point be looking at 10 billion a year before it even wakes up and smells the coffee. So I think whilst we're arguing about the elasticity of a marketplace, I think there's still a lot of stretch in this one. Sometimes I try, and it's very hard to think about the future, because what's happened with the new electronic media and everything is that the future keeps leapfrogging Mm -hmm. itself. Every new development makes the next development come even quicker. In my mind, I can see, you know, let's call them the the Coca-Cola Tottenham Hotspur playing in something called an Enormo Dome. Mm. I also have a, a vision of building an island in the North Atlantic for the World before, yeah. Cup yeah. so we can stop this corruption of yeah. where it has to be. Especially Built Island, it's a nature reserve three years out of four, then it has airports and Island, hotels yeah. and it's going to be Danny Kelly's World Cup Island. I think you should patent yeah. that idea. Absolutely, I'm going I'm to go with that. Winner. In your brightest moments, Simon, when, you're, when the sunlight is catching your face at a lovely angle and you feel mm-hmm. good about the world, where do you see football? Where would you like it to go? I'd like to see a change in the administration of football. I'd like to see FIFA be disbanded <laughs> and put back together with far more integrity. I think there's a lot more right in football than there is wrong, Dan. I think that the changes of direction with digital technology being brought in to advance the way that football is now seen in terms of I've never liked the jumpers for goalposts. We've discussed technology in other other episodes of this series. And I think that technology coming in in the 21st century is very important. I think the international competitions that we have are accelerating in interest levels. I think there's a lot more right than football than there is wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to see corruption taken out of the game completely. I'd like to see agents not have the opportunities they have. As I keep saying, there's, you know, looking at it saying, is there something financially, can it get better? Yes. But I don't think it's broken. So I'm not entirely sure that it needs that much fixing. It just needs to acknowledge the audience that's now watching it, the manner in which the audience is watching it, and keep on adapting to that audience. Placing a bet? It's exhausting running around looking for the best odds. Don't waste your breath. It's time you check Marathon Bet. Before you place your acker this week, check Marathon Bet first. You may find we're best priced. And better odds mean bigger winnings. Download the Marathon Bet app or visit marathonbet.co.uk. 18plusbgambleware.org. Well, we'll actually return to the subject of money now because the good people at Marathon Bet here on the Boot Room to Boardroom podcast 
are very, very generous. We did a treble bet each week involving Premier League and matches that we were going to be watching and we're supposed to be experts of. We'd not won anything. You thought you'd won last week. I did, I did. Yeah, I and you bigged it up on our WhatsApp group as I well know, know. before you'd been shot down in I flames. Know, I know. However, the good folk at Marathon Bet, bless them, are... Um, how can we're going to take this? it out of our hands. They're generous yeah. enough. They're generous enough to have given us both 500 quid to give to a charity of our choice. What's yours? Prostate Cancer UK. Fantastic charity. I've got a bit more local in Hackney. There's a hospice called St Joseph's that do incredible work in the community with people who are dying. And more importantly, the people who survive those people, I'd like the 500 quid to go to them. And that, I'm afraid, Simon, is that's it for this series. Though I understand there's a massive fight going on. Huge optimism. Huge optimism and huge amounts of money being bandied around for another series to be in the offing. But listen, what you people, the listeners, who are very much part of this, what you can really do for us would be to subscribe. Hit the subscribe button and then whether it's through iTunes or any other platform, it doesn't matter. And please share it with your friends and leave a review as well. That would be really, really appreciated by myself, Simon, and the lads who make the programme. And hopefully those powers that be will have us back for another season of, frankly, high-powered, high-intellect, highly-paid podcasting. That's all of it, Simon. Thank you very much for the last five shows. It's been a pleasure, mate. And for me too. God bless you all for listening as well. Marathon Bet, 18+, plus, begambleaware.org.